welcome to another episode of Bitcoin in Asia from Bitcoin Magazine. I'm John Riggins, and our guest this week is Koji Higashi, a longtime Bitcoiner, really a much sought-after and followed industry expert in Japan. He's helped several large companies with market entrance and localization strategies in Japan, and is himself a founder of CoinUp. Most recently, he has been focused on the Lightning Network and is building products with the team at Nayuta. Uh, we talk about how Bitcoin has traded, trended in Japan over the past few years and really dive into product development and developer trends for Bitcoin in Asia, especially what is going on with Lightning development there. Current status, where he sees it going over the next 24 months, uh, things that he's bullish on. Koji has a lot of expertise, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, Koji, good to talk to you, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. For sure. Uh, for those who aren't quite familiar with you yet, can you start with just a kind of a little background? You're famous where you are. Sure. So I'm definitely not very famous outside Japan, I would say. So uh, I'll explain my background a little bit. So I've been involved with Bitcoin since 2014. Uh, before, I went to college in the U.S. and I... After college, I went back to Japan and uh, had a job there for a little bit. But I was looking for something I just wanted to do for myself and just you know start my own thing, basically. And around the time, around 2013, 2014-ish, I just found Bitcoin. Uh, at the time, uh, Bitcoin was very famous in Japan because of the Mt. Gox incident, which took place in uh, Shibuya, Japan. So... Media basically portrayed Bitcoin as some kind of new scam, right? Just mm -hmm. or how it is. Uh, and I also saw a press conference by Mark Carpellis. And he was like, you know, he would speak in that kind of, uh, we are Japanese and like media kind of portrays him as like, oh, he must be a scammer kind of thing, right? So mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's, that's weird. And I don't really understand it. What is this like, you know, mining money? Just sounds weird, right? So it was completely new for me. Uh, That's early 2014, but I it just piqued my interest, and I did a little bit of research. Uh, and by then, there was a lot of learning material in English. So I and I started reading and didn't understand initially, but sounded pretty interesting. Decentralized money doesn't belong to the government or central banks, etc. So I was like, oh, it's interesting, interesting. And I started reading and I basically couldn't stop thinking about it, right? I mean, just what happens. And yeah, just started kind of buying some Bitcoins just to kind of test it out. At the time, it was difficult because there was no exchange after Mt. Cox. It was difficult to even get. Yeah, man, Bitcoins. bold time to uh, be joining in Japan, for sure. Yeah, but <laughs> the funny thing is uh, everybody else was saying it's a scam. So I was like, oh, if everybody else says it must be bad or, you know, a scam, oh, there must be something there, right? So that's kind of how I got into it. And then, and I basically quit everything else, quit my job and just started working on it uh, full time since 2014. And I was, at the time, uh, there are very few Japanese uh, Bitcoin people uh, in the community in Japan. So I was one of early Bitcoin adopters in Japan, I would say. Yeah. And so, uh, and have kind of that early start, we kind of built that brand as uh, someone to listen to about Bitcoin in Japan, kind of a personal media brand, really. Um, but you've also worked on some some cool projects, uh, you know, in the, in those last few years outside of uh, the content that you do. This year, I, I'm mostly in Taiwan. Can, yeah. I cannot really move here, but uh, for sure, but Cert I, I... certain circumstances here now. But yeah, you're you're <laughs> exactly. uh, you're. Uh, when I said you're you're famous, you're famous in your in your Japanese circles, and then wherever you go in Asia, the Bitcoiners wherever you are know you, <laughs> and so uh, you're like a Bitcoiner, right. Bitcoiner over there. I have a bunch of uh, cool Bitcoin friends in all over Asia now. So that's a cool for sure, thing. <laughs> for sure. Uh, and then uh, you you've built uh, you built a mobile wallet. It was kind of the, your first uh, product in the space. Um, and then can you kind of I guess share a little bit about some of the media that you do in, in Japan, too. So I do mostly two things now. Uh, one is product development. So I'm kind of a product manager type, I would say. I'm not a real developer or anything, uh, but uh, I love building products that, that are interesting and new. So after finding out about Bitcoin, I also got interested in uh, the concept of tokens back in 2014. So around the time, tokens were still pretty 
new. It was a new concept. So at the time, Ethereum didn't exist. And Counterparty was the most functional protocol on top of Bitcoin. So we started working on Counterparty and just I started playing with it. I issued my own token for my blog. At the time, my blog, maybe like, you know, two digit people read my blog, like six people. There's <laughs> 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 basically no one. So I thought, oh, why don't I issue a token for my blog and uh, just give out some tokens to my readers. So, and eventually I'll add some use cases like, you know, paid content or like events, etc. And and they will just help me kind of spread the word and, you know, uh, expand the reach of my blog. And it kind of worked actually, it was funny. Uh, I thought nobody wanted to accept my random token, right? But actually one guy said, I, I want to receive your token, here's my address. And okay. that's kind of how it started. And then uh, that's how I got interested in tokens. And then, but I realized a mobile wallet was missing from the token ecosystem. At the time, was, there was only a web wallet. So my co-founder and I uh, just started working on mobile token wallet. At the time, it was maybe one of the first kinds in the world. And that was definitely the first one to have a decentralized exchange built onto the mobile wallet. So that's mm. kind of what we built uh, in 2015, 16. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so we were doing a lot of tokens as well as uh, uh, tokenizing game assets so it's basically using the same technology but applying to uh, gaming so we're basically yeah. doing crypto kitties before crypto kitties became popular yeah two years before <laughs> and you were you were in uh, japan at that point uh can you i guess walk I, us through I was a little bit japan. right yeah can you walk us through a little bit a little bit of um kind of the story of bitcoin in japan so you kind of started to step in right as mount gox uh imploded an interesting time to uh, the, I guess, kind of the, the landscape of, you know, exchanges are kind of the main thing we think about when we think about Japan. Um, I guess recently uh, there are um, kind of some other interesting projects, some lighting focused things, what you're doing now, for instance, uh, Nayuta and then uh, Digital Garage over there. Can you uh, walk us through kind of help people understand what the development of Bitcoin positives and negatives has been like over the last four years? Uh, sure. So the Bitcoin perception started off very bad in Japan because of Mt. Gox. For vast majority of people, Bitcoin died there for the first time there. That, that was their first impression. And then, uh, but there are still some people like myself who would just, you know, uh, work on Bitcoin and other projects. And then eventually the discussion about regulation of cryptocurrency in Japan grew in 2016 and in 2017 suddenly after regulation started uh interest for bitcoin from regular people exploded just suddenly mm -hmm. before 2017 i would say interest was very very minimal uh but suddenly a lot of people woke up to this idea and just started flocking to the crypto uh market basically but uh since then, because most of people were just interested in speculation, and also Japan at the time was a hub for altcoin trading or shitcoin trading, basically. So a lot of people were just in, a lot of people were investing. I mean, China is the same. Asia has this weird. I mean, every country has, but uh, at the time, Korea, Japan were definitely uh, two of the uh, countries that were leading uh, altcoin trading, basically. So. But a lot of people ended up losing money. A lot of people invested in XRP. Uh, actually, more and more people are aware of this now, but uh, XRP is the second most popular cryptocurrency, well, kind of cryptocurrency in Japan. Uh, and there's a lot of followers. And back in 2017, XRP price just exploded. And I think big part of it is a lot of money actually came from Japan, I would say. So, but that's kind of the mentality in Japan, just speculation on altcoin. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to care about the decentralized money or like, you know, hedge to uh, central banks, financial policy, etc. cetera. Uh, I, I would try to explain this kind of stuff to regular people. And most of them, 99% of people are not even interested in this and they don't really get it. 
that's still how it is mostly, I would say. What, what kind of else are you seeing now? And, and uh, maybe we can get into some of what Naito is doing uh, and kind oh, of sure. how you are thinking about uh, development of Bitcoin based out of Japan. Sure. So Bitcoin community in Japan is very small, like I said. Uh, just, you know, kind of same group of people for the past several years. Not many new people, I would say. Uh, a lot of speculators, though. Uh, but there are a few companies in Japan that are focused on uh, Bitcoin, around Bitcoin development. Digital Garage is definitely one of them. Uh, Nayuta, I also work with Nayuta now. They are uh, a notable Lightning Network company based in Fukuoka, Japan. So those two, and there's another one called Chaintope and a couple of other smaller ones like Fresh Free Sets and you know those companies. But the number is still pretty small and most of the new blockchain startups and projects in Japan are either Ethereum focused, like DeFi kind of stuff, or enterprise blockchain, like private blockchain kind of stuff. But uh, so maybe I can explain about what I'm working on now with Nayuta a little bit, or maybe later. Uh, it's kind of up to you. We can do it now. Yeah, go for it. No? Sure. So the project I'm working on now is uh, it's called Nayuta Core. It's basically a mobile Bitcoin full node uh, so the concept is you can run a Bitcoin full node very easily on a regular Android phone. So I've been working on this with Nayuta since uh, sometime this, this year, a few months ago, I would say. So we're still in close beta, but uh, if anyone's interested in running uh, a, a full node and connecting that node to external wallets or lightning apps and that kind of stuff, you can actually already test it. But uh, the concept or the goal here is, so we have a lot of conversation about uh, digital sovereignty or like, you know, being trustless and that kind of stuff, right? And Bitcoiners care about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you see a conversation between some Bitcoiners kind of like, you know, very heated discussion about running a full node? Is it difficult for regular people, et cetera? Have you, did you see it? No? There's a for sure. debate in, yeah. So, I would believe, I would say, it's still very difficult for regular people to run a full node. Or, or maybe even if it's possible, technically, there's no strong reason for them to run and maintain a full node on their laptop or, or, you know, or on a Raspberry or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's too much of work. And so what I'm trying to do with this project is basically make it easier and also make it more fun or, you know, give them a reason to uh, run a node on their phone. More specifically, for example, if you have a phone, you have access to uh, more kinds of wallets or if you connect the node to uh, Lightning applications, laps, maybe you get some kind of special bonus within the app or, you know, gamification and that kind of stuff. So we, I, I believe we have to make it easier as well as uh, incentivize people to run Full nodes. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult to convince people to actually run their node and be uh, more trustless. Use the right coin. I uh, use the Bitcoin in the right way, basically. Yeah. So it's a, it's a different incentives work, you know, on different people just based on how they think about things. But uh, we definitely agree that we have to be incentivizing it. Uh, yeah. How, it's so difficult. What, Still how does, uh, <laughs> and then. Uh, so this in like kind of the landscape of uh, lighting apps and mobile wallets, what like uh, HTCs that rolled out last year and you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's some other others that are kind of working on this. Talk about kind That's of right. the maybe differentiators or, or how y'all are going about it. Sure. HTC's Exodus project is probably better known, uh, more famous. Uh, I think it's interesting what they're trying to do, but the issue with their approach is, well, first you have to buy a specific like, hardware, HTC phone, which costs you like, what, uh, 300 bucks or something? Yeah, 300, also, 400 bucks. Do, do you have one, by the way? Exodus? No? Uh, we have one at the office. I don't, I don't have one personally. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, but it's actually kind of a regular phone, <laughs> regular Android phone, mm -hmm. but it's like oh, yeah. software Basic Android phone. Built, built in, right? But you still have to buy it. So that's one, one hassle, one point that people kind of get discouraged. The other thing is uh, you have to buy an external SD card which costs you another like $150 or something because they maintain a full archival node, full node for like 300 gigabytes. So that's right. another thing, you know, just too expensive. 
And even if you run a full node on their phone, there's nothing much you can, nothing else you can do. So that's, that's how it is with Exodus now. I mean, I think what I believe what they're trying to do is interesting and it's definitely, I respect what they're doing with that. But uh, Nayuta Core, on the other hand, we, it's, it's free and you can run the node on uh, any Android wallet. Uh, any Android phone, basically, because we run a pruned node. We don't save all the blockchain data. So it, you need just only the five gigabytes of storage space and you can still run a pruned node that way. So it's free and doesn't really require that much storage space. And also you can connect the node to external wallets like Zeus and Zap. So we're going to provide more use cases for the node. So that those are the three differences, I would say. Mm. But I'm based in Taiwan, and I'm also a HTC fan myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I own uh, the HTC. One. I, I actually love HTC. <laughs> it's cool. But, cool. Uh, and what what kind of stage is it in then? Then, uh, if, like, when can people expect to uh, be able to try this out? Sure. So it's uh, it's in closed beta. So we already have a uh, working APK. So you can actually try it out on your phone now. Uh, basic functionality is already there. So you can uh, run a full node connect the node to Zeus or Zap wallet, which is a kind of external well-known lightning wallet. Uh, but it's still very beta and it's still a bit buggy, um, but uh, we're gonna have uh, open beta pretty soon. But right now we're working on documentation and kind of educational stuff because a lot of people don't seem to understand what we're doing and it's still very new. So mm -hmm. once we are ready, we'll probably release it in a couple weeks that's cool. kind of the target. Yeah, target date, I would say. Cool. And then you, uh, you know, you seem a little bit, I guess, disappointed in like the amount of development on Bitcoin in Japan uh, as compared right. to uh, other things. But I mean, you know, really, you you rolled off four or five that uh, you know are, are focused on focused on as their main thing, which you know I, I don't see as a, I see that as more than um, you know a lot of places. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the kind of um, just the situation for like Bitcoin development there, uh, so, like what, so the community, the, the community in Japan, you say now is kind of small, uh, like in Korea, um, you know, you have, a, you have a Bitcoin meetup that's maybe a little bit small, maybe a little bit, uh, kind of tilted expat, um, that, uh, uh, what's his name runs, um, Samson or right, right. No. Uh, Samson, is it Samson? Uh, that, that's his last name. <laughs> Ruben. Sorry, Ruben, yeah. Ruben. Yeah, the, Ruben, the Ruben, uh, Ruben Thompson is his last name, I believe. Yeah, Ruben. Yeah. Ruben. Yeah, Ruben <laughs> was gonna speak at Bitcoin twenty twenty this year. But uh so so they have they're kind of have a community there and he's uh, you know obviously thinking about uh, lightning development. what's the kind of situation in Taiwan? Do you do you have uh, much of a community there? Is it uh mostly like in your um you know when you when you talk about these things, is it uh what's the community look like? So Taiwan uh, it's the same as in Japan and Korea. Uh, Bitcoin community here is very small and Ethereum community is way bigger. Actually, Taiwan, I would say is, along with Singapore, probably Taiwan is a hub for Ethereum development. So there's a lot of Ethereum developers and researchers in Taipei and Vitalik comes to Taipei all the time actually to mm -hmm. just meet them or just have events. So. Yes, unfortunately, uh, the community here is also small, but I actually wanted to discuss this with you in more details. Um, you know, you interviewed some people from China and also someone from India, I believe. I wanted to ask you, why do you think Bitcoin's not as big as, you know, some other projects like Ethereum and private blockchains, etc., uh, in Asia? Why, why is it not popular? compared to like US, Europe? Is it some cultural thing involved, you think, or more kind of business decisions? Do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, uh, let's say when you talk about not as popular, I'd say let's let's kind of bucket it out a little bit. Sure. If you look at where um, people are putting their money, mm -hmm. if you look at where institutions are, you know, from retail to institutions, if you look at where people are counting their profits, putting their money, I think it's still Bitcoin in all of these markets. I don't think it, I don't uh, think. Uh, true. That's true. That's mostly true. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, 
you know, I, I haven't heard of a ton of, I haven't heard of a ton of, uh, you know, institutions, you know, onboarding into Ethereum or anything else. It's all Bitcoin essentially in Hong Kong and China. Uh, you know, Japan might be kind of an interesting case in that SBI has kind of latched on to some different things like XRP and like Bitcoin XRP, cash in a way. XRP so I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I want to hear your thoughts on something like SBI and if there's anything else like that in Japan that is, um, yeah, kind of SBI, yeah, has influence definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, uh, but other than that, I think the, uh, the money is going into Bitcoin. Um, when, uh, we think about like interest in developing on top of something, um, in yeah. China, I think there has been kind of a concerted effort on the, on the part of these projects with big marketing budgets to mm -hmm. drive, um, adoption, however real it is, um, in China and in, uh, you know, places like Vietnam and, and, and Thailand. Um, but I think the main indicator that I, I would look at is where is the money going? Um, mm. because that's going to drive kind of the, the long-term, uh, stickiness of it, I guess. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, in Japan, Bitcoin is still the most popular asset. That's for sure. But, um, I was talking more about kind of developer community where, uh, people are, you know, on what, which platform people are working, building projects on. And mm -hmm. people tend to choose Ethereum over Bitcoin. Or uh, recently it's like Polkadot, Cosmos and all those things. People, I still don't really get it. Uh, when I got into this whole Bitcoin thing, Bitcoin was by far the most relevant and it was all Bitcoin basically, right? In terms of market dominance as well as people developers working on Bitcoin, but uh, uh, newer people, it's, I've been having a very difficult time to convince them, not maybe convince them, but have them interested in working on uh, Bitcoin projects like Lightning Network and some others. So, and it's more uh, you think, uh, typical, typical in Asia, I would say. Yeah. Do you think, uh, uh, do you think there's kind of a, a lack of outreach uh, into these different markets for opportunities for Bitcoin development. You said that you talked to people that aren't as interested. I mean, there's definitely been a concerted marketing effort by you mentioned Polkadot and Ethereum uh, in all these countries right. to you know bring on people building on top. I, I tend right. to think it's more of a all right, the money's there now, the excitement about what's possible is there now, and that's gonna uh, kind of peter out once those mm. things don't really come to fruition over time. Um, but the you know, if there's just a lack of interest in Bitcoin as being something that's interesting to build on uh, overall, I think that could be a, 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 a trend uh, that would be concerning. Yeah, uh, I guess you have a point, like different types of developers. Uh, in the US, uh, there's a lot in China as well. US, Europe, in China, there are some protocol developers who are interested in building protocols. They're capable of doing that. But in Korea, Japan, and those countries, development is mostly around applications. And it's difficult to build applications on Bitcoin, at least so far. I mean, I'm hoping Lightning Network will kind of change the dynamics a little bit and we can mm -hmm. attract more application developers now, even from Asia. But uh, I mean, I, I've tried to build on Bitcoin on through counterparty applications. It was difficult, right? I mean, it was still, everything was still kind of new. And uh, we had a block size debate back in 2017. And the transaction fee just skyrocketed and it made almost all of our use cases very, very difficult to use for token applications, right? You would have to pay like, you know, a couple of dollars to move a Pepe cash digital collectible <laughs> or something, right? Sure. A right, Pepe collectible. So it, it kind of killed the momentum and killed some certain use cases. And now tokens are kind of back to Bitcoin a little bit on Liquid and also RGB protocol on Lightning Network, so it's a token protocol on Lightning. So I'm hoping uh, more applications will be also built on Bitcoin in in two or three years. It doesn't happen overnight, but uh, that's my hope. So I, I'm hoping that will happen and just change the landscape in Asia as well. But so far, yeah. mo most of the application developers, because they're, they are either not interested in or they are not capable of working on protocols. So they are just going to different places, I would say. I think that's yeah. uh, one of the big factors in Asia, I would say. It sounds so, like there's is more activity around um, like light, lightning development in Japan uh, than there is in Taiwan and, and Korea now. Right. Uh, as far as I know, there's not 
much going on in terms of Lightning Network in Korea. I actually tried to help facilitate, tried to help organize a Lightning Network hackathon in Korea. I just didn't, timing really didn't work. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't really know if there's any legit Lightning Network community in Korea uh, outside few individuals who are like, you know, just uh, working on that. Uh, Taiwan, it's about the same. I also tried to do organize a hackathon, lightning hackathon in Taiwan as well, just volunteer, but then COVID happens and like everything's kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just wait, sure. wait like a couple, couple more months and see, you know, kind of things. But uh, Japan, yeah, there are some companies, uh, some, some developers, lightning developers. We had a kind of large hackathon in Tokyo a couple years ago, I think. So compared to Taiwan and Korea, there's, more happening in Japan in terms of lightning, but compared to like, you know, US and Berlin, it's very, very small still. Yeah. And then, and, and what you are building, um, uh, you know, you mentioned Zap is, you mentioned uh, wanting to do something mobile so you can connect to different apps that are, uh, you know, also uh, already on your phone. What right. do you think is interesting that's out there now? Uh, what kind of things um, are you excited about maybe being sure. built over the next year? Yeah, that's a couple of things. Uh, one of the things I'm very interested in and active in their community is Sphinx Chat. Uh, have you heard of WhatsApp? I think it's called WhatsApp. It's basically a messaging layer on top of Lightning Network. So Lightning Network has its own routing network and usually you use the routing network to make a payment, right? Send and receive payments on Lightning, but you can also extend extend the feature to messaging and chatting basically, right? So Sphinx chat uses Lightning Network and basically building Telegram on Lightning Network. So that's kind of the idea. And it's cool that, you know, it's encrypted and also micropayment, Lightning payment is very closely integrated onto the chat. So for example, one thing you can do is I can create uh, my own group. I actually have a group for my YouTube channel on okay, yeah. <laughs> cool. only like 20, 20 people they're like you know it's still like the third or fourth largest sphinx chat group because not many people are using it <laughs> yeah yeah but uh what i can do is i can create a group and uh every time my the participant or members in the group uh chat or send text in my group it says three satoshis are paid to me or something like that so it just gives me a more room for monetization or you know i can come up Understood. with some, something interesting so if i'm a famous influencer for example uh maybe i can charge my members members in the group uh five satoshis every time i just send something right just say something or post pictures or something like that let's say i'm like a famous idol or something right then <laughs> people are happy to join my group and just you know get charged five micropayment satoshis every time they get my picture or something like that. So that's very interesting. And I'm hoping to connect Naita Core to those type of applications in the future. So yeah. instead of trusting Sphinx chat and renting server from them, you can run their own node and connect that to the chatting texting application basically. So uh, it's more private and also uh more more uh more trustless so that's that's kind of the vision so i'm trying to connect that if you have a node you you'll be able to do a lot more things in the lightning network ecosystem so that's one the other thing is the thing is um hmm, gaming gaming is definitely interesting uh there's a minkbox virtual conference yesterday so it's basically a lightning network gaming virtual conference and Christian Moss, who's my very good friend in the Bitcoin community. Also, we work on Naitako together. Uh, oh, by the way, Christian, you don't know Christian, I guess, but uh, he was, uh, he lived in Japan uh, from 2015 to 18, 19-ish. And we worked on the previous projects together, worked on the mobile token wallet together, gaming together. So now we're working on Naitako together, but uh, He's in charge of this uh, gaming, lightning gaming conference. And, and it's cool. There's a lot of interesting lightning games. One is uh, called Bitcoin Bounce. 
It's just a simple game. You can just play the game and just every time you play, you get some points and you you can withdraw some satoshis. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. So <laughs> cool. It's simple, but it's it's pretty effective. But I think there's a lot to do. Not more you need to build for Lightning Network to be accessible for more casual crypto users. Right mm -hmm. now, it's very difficult to set up uh, non-custodial wallets, non-custodial Lightning wallets. We have to tell them what is how this works, what is inbound capacity, etc., which is very new for most people. Um, so a lot of things to do, but I'm I'm pretty optimistic where things are going with lightning and there's a yeah. lot more interesting applications nowadays do you think uh japan is a market that's um you know ripe in terms of like those gaming use cases and uh like influencer uh chat room types of use cases do you see japan as like it is part of the reason that you're building this in japan because you think it's a market that uh you know will be uh, interested in those kinds of things first uh yes I think Japan would still remain as a large enough attractive market. So if you are a Bitcoin company or Lightning application, you definitely want to try to uh, also enter the Japanese market as well because there are just some users, definitely number of users. Although there are not many developers, uh, there are some people, including myself, who are interested in just playing with Lightning apps. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm hoping more people will be interested in lightning but right now it's mostly as users as opposed to builders so and there's yeah. a huge gap there well uh you, you need more users than, than builders at the end of the day <laughs> well uh but, but we have way way more users than builders now in japan so that's the problem so yeah all right we'll, we'll see so we'll <laughs> get it to a, a, a better ratio uh the other other builders that are there uh can you talk a little bit about Digital Garage, kind of uh, sure. how important that group is in, in Japan, what they're doing? Digital Garage, they organize uh, a scaling Bitcoin conference, and they're very well known in globally in the Bitcoin community. They also work with Blockstream with, for different projects. They also have uh, uh, Nicholas, Nicholas Dorie of BTC Pay Server and some other strong developers. But interesting thing is uh, Digital Garage is not really well connected in the Japanese Bitcoin community. I mean, they are. I mean, I know them. And I, I'm personal friends with Nicholas and others from DigiLab, Digital Garage. But uh, they seem to be more interested in elsewhere, like global operation to me. Uh, and they don't really have much, very close relationship with uh, Jap other Japanese companies and projects. But uh, yeah, so not many people actually know about Digital Garage working on Bitcoin, actually. Probably not. Okay. Interesting. So that's kind of an interesting paradox. For example, Nicholas is very famous in the Bitcoin community because of his work on BTC Pay Server. But I don't think typical Japanese users or even builders type companies don't, are not really aware of Nicholas living in Japan. <laughs> and that's kind okay. of a funny thing. <laughs> it's like a rock star developer in the you know global Bitcoin community, but not very famous in Japan. So yeah. Um, one uh, kind of touched on, uh, or I guess we touched on kind of you know Bitcoin crypto media in Asia mm -hmm. uh, has, for the most part, uh, tilted towards kind of crypto coverage over Bitcoin coverage. In terms of the volume of stuff that they do, what's that like in Japan? What, what what's the um, you know you're kind of a personal media brand. What what else do you see of like coverage of Bitcoin uh, in Japan in terms of the mainstream media and kind of the niche crypto media? Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting question. Mainstream media uh, they cover a lot of Bitcoin news because they don't really understand any other things, right? Ethereum and others because. They just only talk about, oh, Bitcoin price going up or like, you know, some famous people say something about Bitcoin and Bitcoin halving, that kind of stuff. They mm -hmm. don't really talk about kind of newer things like Lightning Network or DeFi and other things. So, but uh, more crypto focused media seem to write more about uh, non-Bitcoin stuff to me. Um, 
market stuff, altcoin, like, you know, some like XRP, Ripple, DeFi, and all those things. So there's a content is different for mainstream media and more crypto focused media. Um, but mainstream media is mostly about Bitcoin and it's the same in Japan as well. Yeah. And then uh, back, back real quick to uh, like applications, Lightning or, or otherwise uh, in Japan. The stuff that you see that is interesting, like you said, you know, Berlin and the U.S. seems like more stuff is being built here. Um, what what are some things? Could you point out anything and say, hey, I think this would really work well with the Japanese uh, market. Uh, maybe there should be, you know, a Japanese focus either from this team uh, in terms of having, uh, uh, you know, a, a localized version or um, just the idea in general should be taken over in Japan. Any thought, any just uh, thing come to the top of your head for that? Mm. Yeah, that's a very specific question, but that's an interesting question. I love it. Uh, that's part of what I do. I help company localize in Japan as well. So, but for, let's say Lightning Network. So if you build a Lightning Network application, LAP, uh, I would say the market is still too small, but let's say hardware wallet, for example, something like that. One thing you definitely need to have, which is probably the same in any other Asian country is you have to have decent translation because not many people in Japan are very good at English, right? So just because you have decent English, uh, Japanese translation, they would appreciate it. Like, oh, they seem to care about us, sort of, right? That's one. Um, also, you have to have a strong social media presence, especially on Twitter. Twitter is the biggest social media in Japan, most popular in the crypto community in Japan. So if you wanna enter the Japanese market, uh, you definitely should you know, create a Japanese Twitter account and just be active, just interact with Japanese community people. Uh, in terms of whether you need to change your product features or not, I would say no in general, um, but you just need to have good translation and communication on social media. Also, if it's hardware wallet, mm. You definitely need to work with local people. And it's probably the same in China as well. Would you agree? Do you think so? Say like yeah. if you're American and trying to enter the Chinese market, like or, or me trying to promote my product in China, I have no idea what I need to do right now. I would probably have to work with local people. It's very difficult for me to do that uh, as a non-Chinese, as a foreigner, mm -hmm. promoting my stuff. What do you think? It's the same in China as well, right? Yeah, I would agree for sure. Uh, yeah, I think there. I think there's more of a, uh, you know, probably moat around launching something in China and Japan than there is certainly in, in uh, you know, like from the U.S. to a, a European country. Mm. Well, one of the common strategies is you just, you know, work with local. Say, if you're a Lightning Network company, just work with local Lightning Network company to just work on some, you know, joint project or something like that. And that usually does well. It's different, small things. Some of the things that it's really hard to explain. Um, and it depends on what kind of business you have, but uh, you don't really need to do too much. You don't need to change your product or anything. You just need to have good translation and good communication are mostly two of the most things I would say. Uh, other than that, any other Japanese specific tendencies, huh? We like games. We like gaming, definitely. <laughs> also, we like uh, weird things. So I'll give you one example. When Rare Pepe collectibles came out, uh, just out of nowhere, basically. But it, it was mostly like kind of US thing. It has some political connotation as well. But for Japanese people, it's just a weird frog, right? There's no political association for us, right? So when Rare Pepe came out, I thought Japanese people don't really care about that because we don't know that stuff. But when I started working on my wallet and just, you know, dealing with Rare Pepe collectibles, Japanese crypto users loved it. <laughs> they loved okay. that shit. So that, that was interesting. So they like some weird things and collecting things and games in general. Uh, if you have sort of a weird project, like something like Rare Pepe or kind of kind of new weird angle, it might sell. Usually, it sells better in Japan. It's kind, especially for niche people. 
and you want to target those niche users first. So that's what I would say. I was surprised how people liked, loved uh, Rare Pepe the Frog. It's just weird. <laughs> it just yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So niche, niche things. Um, outside of just lightning a bit, uh, we talked about kind of exchanges and the trend there in Japan, um, uh, kind of the regulatory situation. Any other uh, kind of Bitcoin um, related products that have uh, kind of kicked off, I guess, outside, you know, you've seen a lot of companies focusing on uh, borrowing and lending now uh, out mm. here um, and in China. What's the market like for that in Japan? Is it pretty heavily regulated? Is it, uh, are these exchanges starting to dip their toes into those things like they are in, in right. China and whatnot? So borrowing lending, like something like BlockFi? Like BlockFi, yeah. No, yeah. Actually, I know personally know someone who just are thinking of doing something similar in Japan. So I think it's definitely it's definitely coming. It's still not really there because regulations pretty tight in Japan. But uh, I expect to see something like BlockFi in Japan as well uh, in the future. And um, hmm. yeah, that's. But it's still not really strong there yet. Hmm. Uh, but it, it's coming, I would say. Yeah, for sure. What uh, when you're when you're following Lightning, uh, being based over there, what what are the kind of things that you're what are kind of the groups that you're, you know, talking in things that you're reading? What's uh, what's the best way for people over there to stay up to date? And is is there like a, a something that like media should be doing a better job of in terms of connecting the communities for Bitcoin development um, between Asia and, and uh, the West? Mm. Mm. So what can we? do better to educate you're, you're an english speaker so you you're uh uh you know kind of in between in terms of right. uh having access uh translations one uh you know not many people here speak decent very good english is one that that will probably help but it's a lot of kind of dirty work translation takes a lot of time and work but usually it's volunteer work so that's kind of difficult sometimes uh, the other thing is, so say for example, Mint Gox, uh, it's a gaming virtual conference, right? Yeah. They just do it in like late night in Asia, it's like 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. <laughs> just do it in Asia time once and let's see what happens, I guess. The market is still very small, but uh, try to accommodate the time difference and cultural difference a little bit and we might see more interest uh, blowing uh you know growing in japan or you know maybe maybe in korea and some other countries as well so yeah uh yeah but it's difficult <laughs> i mean I've, I've been trying as well at least to some degree uh but it's difficult i'm definitely not i would definitely not say i'm an expert in lightning network as technology uh i'm more interested in like product uh, product management, marketing, that kind of stuff. So I think I have to do myself, for example, do a better job to kind of, you know, convince people like myself to work on Lightning and build something interesting. But but it takes time and it's still very early days in uh, Lightning Network. And nobody has figured out how to build sustainable business on Lightning yet. So once we figure it out, I'm pretty sure more and more people will just kind of try to emulate that so but that hasn't happened yet so we have to wait for that i guess otherwise it's going to be whether i i work hard on translating stuff the transition uh, won't really happen that quickly i'm afraid yeah yeah uh but, so it sounds like but, let me add one more thing but but something like you know sphinx chat or minkog something that you can actually use with lightning that's those are very very important and that's uh, slowly uh, happening now. So th I think that's very encouraging. Yeah, cool. What's the, the Bitcoin community in, in Japan uh, of users, you kind of mentioned being bigger than the builders. What does is, what is like that community look like compared to like the Bitcoin Cash community now? Obviously Roger has been there for a while and has put a lot of uh, support behind yeah. building that out and whatnot. What, is, what does it look like? Like places that accept Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash, like yeah that's getting together what does it look like it's funny that every time i you know get featured on this kind of interview podcast everybody asks me oh i heard bitcoin cash big in japan etc right not really i mean well, we gotta we gotta shut really the narrative anymore. down 
<laughs> I mean, it kind of self-destructed, sort of, right? And Bitcoin Cash community split into BCA, uh, BSB, I'm sorry, BSB. So now they're kind of fighting against each other, sort of. So in Japan, there was a kind of larger Bitcoin Cash community in Tokyo, but it's just split in half, basically, into BSB and BCH, right? It's kind of a nasty split. And I mean, just look at the market, the price and hash rate, everything. It's just uh, Bitcoin Cash and BSB are just trending downwards and it's getting more and more uh, irrelevant, in my opinion. I mean, there yeah. are some supporters still in Japan as well. Just for me, it's like, you know, it's just whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. not really stopping you from doing that. But uh, in general, very few people care about Bitcoin Cash or believe in it anymore, even in Japan. And maybe Roger says something else, but again, Roger's pretty detached from the Japanese, Japanese speaking Japanese community, right? He's not very mm -hmm. big in that. Earlier days, he was definitely like more important in Japan because it was mostly around English speaking community and expats, right? But that has changed a long time ago. So uh, I would say this question, I get asked over and over, but it's not really the case anymore. I would say. Hey, so. that's what I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, right. And then, and, and then uh, on the exchanges side, which you do have, and you've, you've also um, kind of done some, some research and, and I've sure. seen a couple of interesting talks that you've uh, done on some exchange data and how it kind of breaks mm -hmm. down around Asia. Um, maybe can you share some uh, kind of uh, broad trends that you've seen, just kind of things that you've picked up in some of that research? Sure. So let me explain about the market and a little bit about regulation in Japan because they're uh, you know, definitely connected. Uh, so the research I did, uh, oh, hold on. Hmm. Before that, back in 2017, where, where we had a huge bubble, altcoin bubble or Bitcoin as well, uh, Japan was one of the leading countries in terms of trading volume. In fact, Bitflyer in 2017 had uh, about about 70% of the trading volume in the world because their derivative perpetual swap market uh, was very popular before BitMEX. And a lot of strong Japanese traders were trading on Bitflyer. Uh, but since then, uh, there's a huge hack incident that happened in Japan. Uh, CoinCheck, one of the uh, largest exchanges in Japan got hacked in uh, March 2018, uh, yeah, March 2018. And then since then, everything kind of went downhill. Regulation became more strict. So exchanges really couldn't do kind of aggressive marketing strategies anymore. Uh, and also Bitflyer sort of messed up on compliance and they stopped uh, new signups. So volume started drying up and just migrated to BitMEX and Binance and all those different foreign exchanges. So Japan since 2017 slowly started losing market share and trading volume and relevance. Back in 2017, we had a lot of, a lot of ICO projects that came to Tokyo to the meetup and all those events. And they're like, Hey, just, you know, I'm working on this ICO project and et cetera. Can you help me just market in Japan, et cetera? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but uh, it was crazy in 2017 and 18, uh, we rarely see that in Japan anymore because market became kind of smaller compared to the US and Korea and China through Binance. So that's the general trajectory in Japan. And part of the reason is the hack incident and regulation became becoming more and more strict. And recently Japan's actually delever. So they lower the leverage rate ratio to two times now. It used to be 20 times and they lowered it to eight times and now it's only two. Mm. So how do you compete against Binance and BitMEX and all those exchanges when you have only two time leverage, right? They, Binance offer what, 100 times leverage. So yeah, because of regulation and certain uh, hack incidents, series of hack incidents, Japan just started losing volume and uh, that's the general trend. I, I think Japan is kind of continues to slide in that regard. So that kind of sucks. A lot mm. of people in 2017 said Japan's a great country where you have clear regulation, etc. right? 
And I was one of the very few people who were saying that not, not really. If you look at the regulation closely, it was too restrictive and uh, it would give a lot of, uh, lot of space for decision for regulator. So they, they can basically change rules as they wish because everything is still new, right? So I was kind of worried about it. And unfortunately, everything that happened after 2018 in Japan just uh, doesn't really look good uh, for the market as well. So Japan used to have like more than 70% of market share in uh, you know fiat, Bitcoin versus fiat currency market volume. Now it only has like, I did a, I did a bit of research myself and tried to filter out fake volume, but I, I believe Japan right now has about 10% uh, USDT tether and a lot of it is must be from China tether has about like I don't have data now but probably like 50% mostly Binance uh, uh, this is all spot trading volume but uh, so yeah Japan used to have a, was in a very good position but they basically lost it all so that's mm. why that's one of the reasons I kind of left Japan because nothing interesting was happening and I'd rather be in a different environment and just you know just challenge myself or like you know get closer to china is more interesting probably chinese speaking yeah. uh environment yeah interesting and then i guess in that in that kind of progression you you had uh you talk about regulation being a little bit too uh too hard in your view um you had a number of licenses that were uh you know said the number of licenses were going to be available you had a lot of uh, outside exchanges trying to enter the Japanese market by acquiring um, exchanges that already had these licenses, mm -hmm. or you know, right. getting some of the few remaining. Um, right. what, does it is what's what's it look like now? Is it still a bit flyer in the lead? Is it uh, you know what what? Uh, uh... Right. In terms of trading volume, Bitfire is still leading. They actually a couple weeks ago they started doing TV commercial again. Which is uh, actually a kind of a big deal in Japan because once okay. they start doing TV commercial, uh, regular consumers are like, "Oh, that's cool!" Uh, you know, "Oh, it's it's relevant again. It's cool again." Interesting. Because yeah, it's yeah. on TV, kind of thing. So uh -huh. maybe we'll we'll have a a bit of increased trading volume from Japan now. Uh, but Bitfly is still the largest exchange in terms of trading volume, and they yeah, their Bitcoin trading volume is way bigger than any other exchanges now. Probably they have like. 80% of market share. The, the kind of fake volume in Japan mm -hmm. versus Korea and China. Uh, Anything, any any uh, thoughts on like how that trended over uh, kind of through uh, the easy. bull market and trends now? Very easy. Uh, le much less fake volume in Japan because it's more highly regulated. So it's mm -hmm. more risky for exchanges to do, uh, engage in something like that. Uh, so, and my data also, my research also supported that so less fake volume in japan um and also exchanges a number of exchanges are very much smaller than that in korea and in china so uh you can the data in japan is more more or less trustworthy and there's also mm -hmm. a industry association they occasionally publishes uh official data they collect from exchanges so trading volume popular crypto, etc. So you can trust that data, I would say. Hmm. Uh, so there's that. Korea, there used to be much more fake volume before, uh, but seems it's, uh, it's getting a little bit better. So getting a little bit healthier. China, I have no idea, but I would hmm. assume it's mostly fake. Top We're three, would you say? Gotcha. Top three, Bitflyer, Bitbank, and Coincheck. In terms of trading volume, Liquid probably has larger volume than Bitbank and Coincheck. But like I said, uh, their volume might be faked. I'm not sure how much. Also, from what I understand, talking to traders and my personal observation, uh, Bitbank and Coincheck are much more relevant in the community. They seem to have better... Uh, their awareness is just bigger for them. So liquid, it's kind of weird. They have a data suggests they have a lot of volume, but I don't know any legit, I mean, there must be some users, of course, but uh, I don't know many liquid users. I know a lot of Bitflyer users, for example, personally as well. 
I don't see. Hey, many what, what were those Bitflyer say... commercials, by the way? Was it was it like a oh. pretty uh, traditional finance looking commercial, or was it like kind of Bitcoin? No, 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 no. It's like a very cute Japanese idol, like oh, it's just a cryptocurrency kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, interesting. That that right. sells well. <laughs> gotcha. Well, yeah. always interesting. Uh, and then last last question, last thing, more of a fun one, uh, a recommendation. So we end uh, each show with a recommendation. Can be a movie, can be a place to eat, food. Uh, cultural item, anything. Uh, you can go either Taiwan or, or Japan here. Hmm. Okay, well, first, let's talk about movie real quick. So I watched uh, V for Vendetta for the second time. The first time I watched it like a long time ago, like 10 or you know, 15 years ago, something like that. But I re-watched it recently, and it's, it's much more relevant now. Have you watched the movie? Have you heard of it? I haven't watched it in probably it? 10 years, yeah. Right, right. If you watch it now, it's actually very interesting. It's sort of describing what's happening now, in a way. Because the, the government in the movie was using the virus as an excuse to kind of lock people down, etc. And also, yeah, kind exactly. of interesting overlaps as well. So I, I've, I was forgetting about it. But uh, I re-watched it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. So if you haven't recently watched it, uh, I recommend watching that movie. It's sort of interesting now. It's more interesting now, actually, I would say. Place to go, Better. Taiwan. Taiwan Taiwan's definitely a place to be. Where are you in Taiwan? Uh, it's, it's a secret. Well, not really. But oh, I like <laughs> it's it. a rural, a rural area of Taiwan, not, uh, not Taipei. Cool. Yeah. We're, not, we're not trying to dox your address here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, Taiwan's right, definitely interesting. Um, yeah, uh, if you want to go to Japan, uh, Fukuoka, so I talked about Nayuta a little bit. So Nayuta is based in Fukuoka. Fukuoka is sort of a kind of tech hub in the su- southern Japan. So if you are interested in visiting Japan in the future, sometime in the future, uh, I, I recommend going to Fukuoka as well. It's a tech hub is one. The other thing is a lot of uh, good food and it's cheaper than stuff in Tokyo. So Fukuoka is kind of a nice place to visit, I would say. I like it. Sounds good, man. Thanks for the time. Late night for you. No, no, it was fun. Thank you for having me. Reminder, all of the content in this episode is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments.